0: Alright, next storyteller. It's next storyteller. Your next storyteller. Our next, storyteller. Our next storyteller. Hello and welcome to the narrators. This podcast collects stories from our live events where people share true stories based on a theme.
1: Today's story comes from longtime supporter of the narrators, the founder of From the Hip Photo, and my friend Danny DeZas. Danny shared this story on July 17th, 2019. The theme of the evening was Burn.
0: I'm just going to put it out there and say I'm coming out of the gate with a lot of sincerity. I love the narrators. I feel like I've been so fortunate to have been linked up with this show now for four and a half years or so. And when I talk to people who have never been here, the shorthand that I use is I say, it's my favorite thing in Denver. And I truly mean that. It's, it's so rare and special to have a place where strangers come together together. They put away their phones, they're present, they listen where where people can share their stories and I feel like particularly in this divisive world that we live in um, that's really precious it's a special thing and Three years ago, when I told my first story i I went kind of a i took the easy way out for me, which was to not really talk about something that uh has depth. (laughs) I talked about my my first sexual experience, which I guess has a different kind of depth, (laughs) but here we are. So this uh, this is something I haven't really talked about with anybody except for my wife, Nina, who's taking photos right now. And Nina, you should know that this is the good time to take photos in case I'm ugly crying in a little bit. Uh, we are, if you don't know us, one of these kind of disgusting couples who seem to spend like 23 hours a day together. We have a business together. We have two kids together, and um, I just remember meeting her for the first time, being like, "Yeah, this is the most interesting, talented, smartest, funniest person I've ever met." And kind of like Ron uh, and the relationship that he's got. We're we're pretty much inseparable. Um, so we've we've got two kids now, um, and I won't belabor this point because it's something I feel like a lot of people have talked about really eloquently and really humorously, but when you become a parent for the first time, it's sort of shocking that, you know, to drive a car, you have to take a test, you have to display aptitude and knowledge, and you go into the hospital to have a baby. And it's miraculous, and it's sort of unbelievable, the whole process. And then there's this phalanx of nurses who are constantly coming in and checking in on you. And doctors are popping in at all hours of the night, and they're poking and prodding your baby. And then all of a sudden, the the automatic sliding doors are there in front of you, and you're outside. And it feels wrong. (laughs) Like... They don't know if we know how to put an infant into a car seat or if we have a car seat. And it gives you a, a real different appreciation for your own parents and just more generally this idea that nobody really knows what they're doing ever, even experts, like everybody's playing at this idea that they're, they know, but they, nobody knows, right? And so I think a lot of parents begin from this sort of Hippocratic perspective of like, first, do no harm. That's... That's your responsibility as a parent. Don't fuck it up. And then everything else is just sort of gravy. Um, So this story took place when we had our first daughter. She was just shy of a year old. And we would have friends come over once a week under the auspices of watching a TV show together. And really it was just to have this standing date where we could all, you know, catch up and have a drink. And we were in our kitchen, it was the very beginning of the evening, so nobody had passed out watching Breaking Bad yet. And uh, I'm standing there getting ready to make my first drink of the night. And our, our daughter Ella, who was 11 months old, was at that stage of early walking where every step is really wobbly and you know, there's a lot of clutching to furniture and kind of shimmying along walls and I lift my eyes up and across the room, I see her sidling up against this wall and she's squeezing in between the wall and this hearth gate that we had around the fireplace. And uh, this happened in February, it was cold. We had our gas fireplace on, has a glass fronted pane that gets really, really hot. And before Cognitively, I knew what was happening. My body was in motion, and I was trying to get around my friends and the furniture and everything that stood in between myself and her. And there is this, you know, like trauma moment time dilation happening where everything's like really slow and really fast. And I'm watching her and I'm getting closer, and I know that I'm not going to get there in time. And I watch her put her hands and her wrists and her face against this hot, hot, hot fireplace glass. And because she's learning how to walk, she's just leaning into it. And because she's so young, she also has her own kind of cognitive delay happening here where she starts to feel this thing, but she doesn't understand And so instead of pulling back and recoiling the way that we would, she just kind of stayed there. And I scooped in and kind of peeled her away and ran to the kitchen sink and threw the tap on cold, you know, practically (laughs) drowning this little infant. And, you know, ice packs are appearing, friends are handing stuff. And it becomes clear very quickly that this is not a cold water and ice pack kind of emergency this is a like you need to be in the hospital right now emergency so Nina and I jump into the car and just blowing through every red light blowing through every stop sign I have this very distinct memory of thinking like if I see the sirens come on in my rearview mirror they're just going to have to talk to me at the emergency room because I'm not going to stop and we didn't have a police escort but we got there and, you know, again, just the, the inability to communicate, right? Like, we understand the intensity. Our daughter is wailing. She's inconsolable. And we're just sitting in this room. We can't move. We can't do anything. I can't let her know that we're not giant assholes. Like, we are helping you right now. Um, long story short, um, Ella sorry. Ella needed, um, she had third-degree burns on her hands, on her wrists, on her philtrum, on her cheeks, on her nose, and we were really unsure what that would mean. Um, She wound up getting grafts from her abdomen onto her palms and onto her wrists there, um, which, if you can imagine, the underside of your palm is a different complexion than... Your belly probably is. And then there was just sort of this aftermath of that. You know, uh, she was in casts up to her elbows, and we were going in a couple times a week for these occupational therapy visits, and then it became once a week, and then it became twice a month, and then it became once a month, and then it was done. And we had a lot of concerns initially about mobility in her hands, the range of motion... That girl is a fucking fighter. <laughs> she was incredible. And today, she's eight years old. She paints. She plays the piano. She hits those octaves. You know, she swims. Uh, the the burn doctors would say that she had a complete recovery, right? Um, she's She's got these burns. Um, but as parents, I look at this eight-year-old girl, and I see all of that. I can't really ever not see that. But she's beautiful. And Ron, you've seen her. She's beautiful. (laughs) And I feel the way probably every parent does. Like, how did I have a hand in making this beautiful little human being? Um, And and feeling this sense of that we were so fortunate. When, When you go through something like that, you spend so much time in you know, waiting rooms, in pediatric hospitals, and you're in the company of kids who are not going to get better, in the company of parents who, despite their best effort, are, are totally powerless, and they're not asking for pity. They're just going in and every day and doing what they need to do. And that's a really sobering perspective, especially when you have this... <sighs> Kind of luxurious outpatient relationship to the hospital when you're popping by once a week. I, this happened, you know, seven years ago. And I constantly feel this dichotomy of like, I broke that oath, right? I, I did this permanent harm. And I'm sure if Nina were up here, she would say the same thing that, you know, every day is a struggle for forgiveness, but also this immense, immense gratitude. And it's just part of her. You know, Ella will will put her hands out and say, this is where I touched fire. This is where I got burned. And it's like another kid saying this is where a mosquito bit me or this is where I skinned my knee. It's just always been part of her. She'll never remember how she got those those burns. Uh, There's just always been there for her. And it's hard to talk about this stuff without getting like treacly and saccharine. But I think about it a lot. You know, we, we all have our own burns, our own scars... And they're, they're part of us, right? They tell our stories. They're inseparable from who we are. And while, you know, I would obviously never want anyone to go through that, it's something that, in a weird way, really, I think, defined us a lot more than it will ever define her. And it's gotten us to this place. And so... It's not something that that you want to wish away. Um, But I definitely... Oh, she made this phone case, by the way. I just realized I've been reading off of this. Um, This idea of kindness at this particular moment in time, it's in such short supply, and it kind of takes me back to the beginning here, which is why I love this. And I'm hoping that Every day, Nina and I can show ourselves a little bit more kindness when we see that face. And um, I appreciate your kindness in being here and and listening. Thank Thank you.
1: The Narrators is produced by me, Ron Doyle, Sydney Crane, and Aaron Rollman, with help from Karen Wachtel, Jesse Witten, and Scott Carney. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Bumport Theatre Company, Illegal Beats, From the Hip Photo, and Great Divide Brewing Company. Our theme music is by Whalehawk, and we'd also like to thank Kyle James Hauser, who provided the outro music you're listening to right now. If you're in Denver, join us for one of our live monthly shows, which take place every third Wednesday of the month at Bumport Theatre in Denver, Colorado. You can subscribe to this podcast for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review if you can. It helps other people find our stories. For more information about today's storyteller or the narrators, check the show notes for this episode or visit the narrators.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The people of Norway are battered and broken. Faces like ash after fires have gone, scattered, scared.